Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Telling stories from the LAFC community, foe match by foe match, fan by fan, personality by personality. We are so blessed this week to have with us none other than the legendary at Talk Soccer, Mr. Dave Denholm, your current voice of LAFC on 710 ESPN LA, and obviously a legendary broadcaster through his work with ESPN Fox and NBC Sports. Thank you, sir, so much for digitally joining us in these trying times. Oh, great. Great to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Welcome to our um, virtual studio. Well, usually, uh, Christian, we go to Christian's house, and he's got, like, this really decked-out studio with, like, sound curtains, and, and it's really, really, like, a nice, nice studio setting. So we're going to have to have you come on maybe at uh, some point later in the season and have you come back on and you oh, can check great. out the actual studio. Uh, I, mean, everything, I see uh, a lot of scarves, though. A lot of LAFC scarves everywhere. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Checked out. I love it. So <laughs> got one behind my shoulder. Not that, they, you know, not that anybody's going to see that. <laughs> you know, as much as we've invested in the studio so graciously carved out of Christian's home, guys, he actually knows what real studios look like. Our humble confines might not impress him so much as our, as our normal guest. But we are so <laughs> thrilled to have you on. Obviously, the biggest event in the LAFC community right now is centered around around none other than the mind and voice of you, sir, Mr. Denholm, and faux traffico that took place since our last recording. What an amazing experience. I can't wait to dive into that a little bit later. But boys, before we get to pick apart the man behind it, I'm just sort of curious your initial reactions to that beautiful piece of creative we've been blessed with. I loved it very much. There have been a lot of times where I can't go to the bank for the in-person matches, and so I'll have to catch a lot of the radio broadcasts anyways. So it, it felt exactly like a real game was going on. And so I was very much used to having to play the game in my head and create the vision from what I'm hearing. And it was definitely, I mean, it was it was as real as it could ever be to me. And as soon as it was done, I texted Vince and I was like, dude, I got to get this file. I have to be able to save it so that because it is something that I want to save and preserve because who knows if anything like that will ever have to come out again. But, it, I mean, I, I wanted that so badly. It was amazing. I'm working on the nursery for our expecting baby, and it was awesome because I was I felt like I was in maybe back in the day when there wasn't as much TV, and I was just out doing my, my like, work in the house, painting a wall, cracked a beer, and I had, you know, this imagery uh, but that you were able to describe Dave with the help of Mario, it, it was it felt like this game was happening. I just couldn't go that day, right? And I was just excited, and I was like, I don't know, anxious at times and happy at times, just like if a real match was going on. And that that is quite the talent that you you pulled off along with with the sound that we were able to put on, and it made me really happy that we were able to have those couple hours where it felt like this was not really happening. Humbled, guys. I mean, honestly, thank you. That's exactly why I did it, you know, just to, to give everybody a couple of hours, hopefully, of something fun that they could kind of just forget everything that's uh, not happening for us as, uh, you know, black and gold fans. And we're not at the bank like we should have, especially on that day, which was that's, you know, Mario and I decided to have it released on the day of El Trafico, which is obviously so painful that we couldn't have that first meeting of the season. So it worked out that way, but it's still. It's all too familiar with, you know, how much we were missing. So I'm just glad that you guys got a chance to kind of get away from whatever you're doing. Congratulations, by the way. And uh, good to hear. And, and, you know, you had a chance to just for a few hours to just escape because that's what it was for us, too. 
honestly. So I appreciate that. I was doing some yard work because I had forgotten to rescind my request for time off that day. Um, all three of us being employed by essential businesses, we've all been working this whole time. <laughs> and so I looked at the schedule and I was like, wait, why did I get a weekend day off? Why did I schedule myself? And I was like, oh, it was supposed to be the Derby today. Oh, man. And so I was doing some yard work. And I remember when Chicharito faux scored, throwing down a rake and getting so mad and then stopping and being like, hey, wait a minute. He still hasn't scored. It's OK. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, we'll dive a little bit more into Faux Traffico in a minute here, but other things that have been going on in the LAFC community, we have a huge, huge, huge moment in the branding of our stadium and the rights being changed with Bank of California Stadium, the bank, and so many things that we think of when we hear that term. And it was released earlier this week that after a $20 million buyout, Bank of California would be parting ways with the naming rights to the stadium, thankfully staying on as the official banking partner of LAFC, and we're happy for that. But your initial reaction, boys, to our cathedral potentially taking on a new partnership in the upcoming months? It was... Uh... Definitely surprising. I think the initial contract was like a 15-year contract. At no point did I expect it to come this soon. You know, we're only in the um, the third season of, uh, you know, so I, nobody expects a name change that fast. And it's, I, I very much like the ring of calling our stadium the bank. Stadiums change names all the time. So it just happened sooner than I had anticipated, but it wasn't like I thought that it was going to be like the Staples Center, right? Where the Staples Center has that lifetime contract where it's always going to be called the Staples Center. Like, I, I never expected that. I know. I, I feel the same way. I, I it's, it's surprising that it came this fast. But to me, I think that this doesn't happen without interest already by some other company. One, two, there's, I think, a, a receipt of $20 million rather quickly and probably at this time is, is a good thing with us not being to go and, you know, pay and consume and watch and be entertained uh so i think from a balance sheet perspective thinking business-wise that it's probably a good thing that there's going to be an influx of cash coming sooner than later in terms of liquidity and i'm sure there's other large companies either here locally in la or nationally or internationally that are willing to sponsor the, this team's stadium so Sad because of the, the, the moniker it's it's given us uh, to call it the bank. And you know, it's almost a sure win. And you could take that to the bank when we play at home. But uh, that's the way I see it, I guess. So Not that I have any inside information by any means. I'm only hearing what most everybody else is. But it just strikes me as this is clearly about Bank of California as a business. Right. And, you know, whether it's the situation with COVID, who knows? I, I don't know their, their business situation. But... When you're basically, if you're LAFC, you're taking this, you know, a buyout essentially. Uh, this has this has all the earmarkings of Bank of California just changing a business strategy, and that happens. What are you gonna, you know, long-term contracts like that are great, no question, and most of the time they work out very well for both parties. Sometimes they don't. You just have to move on. I think they I actually, the more you dig into it, initially you're shocked, right? Oh, this, you know, this is terrible. That was my first thought, I'll be honest. Like, oh, no, you know, and I thought, well, it's really not that bad. I mean, I certainly, if I'm Bank of America, I'm, I'm trying to get there as quickly as possible or some other bank, you know, so we can still call it the bank. And I right. think it would be incredible for a, another bank to actually kind of, you know, 
and this is all on my opinion, like come in and save the day, swoop in, you know, if you will. And, and we can still defend the bank, you know, and all of a sudden it's just a different, but again, I'm sure there are smarter people than me who are going to make these financial decisions and business decisions. And I just think once again, this organization is just so class from top to bottom. They'll make it work, you know, and hopefully they'll even keep the good relationship with bank of California going forward, no matter what happened realistically. And I hope it's not just, you know, something that's all one-sided. I hope Bank of California got, you know, what they could out of it at the time, and hopefully they'll do well also. You know, this is we're shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with business partners, too. That's just the reality of sports nowadays. Yeah, and I think a $20 million paycheck, the chance to rewrite that contract for it to be potentially more financially beneficial to the club going forward is a positive. As a fan, you have to say, look, when my club is profitable and has done a piece of business that has guaranteed more money than existing contract that was in place. You do have to see that there's some very bright positives from a financial standpoint, but it is going to be a little challenging to get rid of that moniker, the bank. And while it's fresh on our mind, and you mentioned the phrase as well, Mr. Denholm, is that that phrase, defend the bank, right? And obviously we want to give a quick shout out to our pod brothers over at Defenders of the Bank, who are going to be put in an awkward situation as to what they're going to do with their naming rights. But moreover, we'd like to congratulate them on recording their 100th episode next week, being the second LAFC podcast across the century mark behind Jerry and Joseph over at Heart of LAFC. So uh, a big shout out to all the people behind Defenders, but uh, Christian, JR, two of the nicest people. They did a great episode on this show. If you'd like to go back and check it out as well, too, we highly recommend that as well. But uh, shouts and cheers to the boys at Defenders. Well done. You know, I don't want to backtrack too much, but it's almost like uh, selling a player transfer. You get a big wad of cash, and unfortunately a relationship is severed on some level, and that player moves on. You know, you're still going to root for them. Obviously, there's rumors that always fly around with LAFC players because we got a great roster. And that doesn't mean you're not going to still love that player. But, you know, maybe they have to move on. And it's a benefit for both the player and, you know, from the bottom line. And that's the bottom line is the bottom line in professional sports. And if you're not healthy there, you're not going to have a healthy team on the field either. So I think it, I think it can work out in this case for both. Right. You know, to, to uh, just speak on that, because Dave brought it up. Did you guys hear about the potential transfer rumor for uh, Raito? Yes, I did. Uh, Before we jump into that, hold on. I wanted to say this. <laughs> I wanted to say one last thing on the naming rights. I would say that our ownership, I feel like they have pretty good relationships. So I was not worried about other companies being interested. So, yeah, you know, just echo the, the last things that you guys said from a business perspective. But going down to Rayito, yes, the interest, the new interest from another Italian club. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, Chris. Oh, well, I mean, we didn't, we, we don't have to talk about it right now. But at some point, yeah, I would like to talk. It was uh, AC Milan. Yeah. Right? Was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. AC Milan were the ones that uh, uh, were interested. And so I think that, you know, who knows? Who knows if, if uh, he may not play for us. Because the transfer window is supposed to open up in, what, a month? In theory, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, you look at the finances of what's going on right now in Italy. I don't see any of those clubs as being financially in a position to be able to pay what we are going to need to get out of the sale from Raito in order to make that profitable for us. Because if you look at our initial investment in the player plus what we would have to pay out in his sell-on rights and the fee back to MLS. We'd have to sell him for a pretty hefty chunk of money 
in order for that to be financially beneficial to LAFC. And I just don't see an Italian club coming out of this current financial crunch that COVID has caused to be able to make that kind of investment where it's worthwhile. I think a lot of this is probably being floated from the agent and good job by the agent for getting his player's name out there with big clubs like AC Milan. That's great. It's great for Raito. It's great for LAFC. It's great for all of us involved in this whole scenario. I just don't think it's going to happen this summer. I just don't see the finances of that lining up, but maybe let's talk to the professional and get your opinion. Double D. What do you think? If there is a club that could do it in uh, Italy, it's Juventus or AC Milan. I mean, those are the two, I guess, quote unquote, wealthiest clubs year in and year out. Maybe a Roma could obviously. So it's possible. I don't disagree that it would probably be for a pretty hefty sum of money right now to make that worth the while. I don't think it's in any way, shape or form as LAFC soured on the player or anything like that. Obviously, he's just getting started and certainly we have big plans for Brian Rodriguez. So maybe it's a case of it's almost too early in a sense, in a, unless they just overwhelm you with an offer. Of course, any player would be willing to, you know, hear a possibility of going to AC Milan. Certainly, I, don't, I wouldn't blame him for that by any means. But the good news is we're having rumors where a player of ours is being talked about with AC Milan, right? That's It's kind of like when people were like shocked that Barcelona might want Carlos Bailey. Well, of course they would, as it turns out, right? He's one of the best players in the world right now, quite frankly, at least in terms of the form he was in. Of course they would have wanted him, but it was like, wow, this is great. We're being mentioned with Barcelona and LAFC in the same sentence. Well, now it's AC Milan. No bad can come of this, quite frankly. If he doesn't go, great. If it works out that it's a perfect deal for both, well, we wish you nothing but the best, you know, and it's just a good business. Let's hope it works out that he's scoring 25 goals a year for us, quite frankly, for the next four or five years. That would be nice. I wonder if it uh, has anything to do with the recent injury to uh, Zlatan. Uh, I was about, I was going to bring that up. I, I think he's he's old. He's not coming back. And you have the chance to invest in someone that if they buy him now, they were going to buy him low because they, he, he hasn't necessarily performed or pro- he hasn't produced in the MLS, right? He's performed well. Uh, he just hasn't had that last you know, final touch to, to put the ball in the back of the net. He's had some key passes in some games and key effort and key key dynamic moves, but I think they see potential. I think he's a little raw. They think that they can bring him onto their facilities and their training schemes and take him to the next level. But if we do sell him on at this point, we'd be selling him low. And I'd say that similar to Rossi, like we, we haven't sold him on because we haven't had the right deal that makes sense financially while the player was producing at a high level. I think Brian's the next one up that's going to hopefully produce at that, that next level to take this team to be, you know, almost invincible in the big moments. Well, none of us would be shocked if he goes to AC Milan and in a full season, let's say next season has 15 goals. He can right. explode. There's no doubt he's got the ability and, and he might do that for us. He might do that for AC Milan. I think he can do it anywhere. I right. think Brian Rodriguez can play anywhere in the world. And that, that's the beauty of, what LAFC has done bringing in some of these type of players. It's amazing. Absolutely. I think we're very blessed to even have a player in this conversation and whether it's, uh, you know, a Juve and AC Milan or something like that, or, you know, whether it's Roma and their parking lot money that come for them. If the, mm-hmm. if the check is big enough, by all means, it's financially beneficial to LAFC. And I would love to see it happen just because it helps if he goes on and then performs as we all anticipate him doing, 
then it only stamps us as a club that is a pipeline for those players. It makes the next transaction and the next yep. transaction after that more cost-effective for the club as far as going after that young talent. I mean, you have a player that launches from your club to AC Milan. All of a sudden, these young players at you know these various corners of the world are saying, hey, LAFC made it happen for that player. Maybe they can make it happen for me. So it helps you from a recruiting standpoint. It helps you from a financial standpoint. It might be a slight detractor to the team on the pitch at the moment, but we know that this club has always found a way to go out there and get amazing young raw talent. And Bob Bradley has certainly proven his ability to be able to hone that talent into a product on the pitch that has been outstanding. So it's good conversation to have. I, I still think it's a lot more agent generated than club generated at the moment. And I think had COVID not happened and he'd been tearing it up this season, it, it might have been plausible this summer. But I think everything right now is postponed a year. And it's not just my concert plans for this year. You know, it's not just um, our, our chance at defending a shield. It's all of these things that are probably a more summer 2021 reality than it is a summer 2020 reality but speaking of other things going on within the community at the moment i was kind of curious boys if there's been anything else within the lafc community that's been capturing your attention i know we've had the online gaming events that have been taking place whether you guys have had a chance to watch some of that call of duty we've seen remy martin going at it our last episode we recorded before the final day although it ended up coming out after the final day so unfortunately remy was defeated there in the semifinals. But what else has uh, been keeping your mind on LAFC and off this craziness throughout the world, boys? Uh, well, we saw that uh, Cuervos had put on the uh, the farmer, uh, the Ventura farm worker donations. Uh, they were going out. I think they're actually leaving tomorrow too for another caravan. They're going to go out to Ventura and they're going to they, and they uh, are donating food, clothes, uh, all sorts of uh, supplies and things like that. And and I know that on the after the first trip, they had made a point because i think the first trip it was a lot of food and uh like home supplies that they had brought out but they also had made a point like you know they took a picture of somebody's shoes and said hey look these guys can also use like used shoes and stuff like that so if there's any of our listeners out there and you guys have you know you guys take time during this this uh covid situation to clean out your closets and you got clothes that you want to donate and you don't necessarily have a, a uh, place that you want to donate to right away, I know that there are going to be people in the 3252 community that will, uh, with open arms, accept your clothes donations, whether it is uh, the Cuervos and the Ventura farmer uh, farmers that are going to be using it or if it's any of the other supporter groups that are putting on uh, donations. There was that. And the other thing that uh, LAFC is doing the blood drive. They just had another blood drive yesterday at the bank and they've got another two in june that the spots are filling up fast so um if you guys are interested in doing that it's through the red cross so you go to the red cross's website and type in uh los angeles and you know the bank of california will be the host of two of the days um i'll look up the dates right now and i'll get back to you on it uh i haven't had a chance to watch all the gaming stuff but i do get the (laughs) the brackets and see who's going who's playing who's doing well i'm not a big gamer myself which I feel like everyone's taking up right now. So I feel like I'm missing out on some things, some cool headshots and stuff like that. But that's been cool in terms of seeing the 3252 interact with them themselves. But, you know, I, what's been keeping me busy just because I'm doing a lot of work around the house is just the pods. So all the podcast community here in LAFC, checked out a couple of the MLS ones, but they've been doing like best of and uh, recapping things. So I, I don't 
find interest in all of those because some of them I, I was like really young <laughs> and I don't remember the team specifically. But uh, it's interesting to see how the, the league has progressed. So that's been kind of cool. But yeah, no, that's that's what's been k- keeping me busy from a footballing perspective and just watching on the weekends, waking up early and trying to catch some of the Bundesliga games. has been pretty cool. What about you, Dave? Uh, you about uh, picking up them sticks for some Call of Duty? Uh... <laughs> no, <laughs> I have not. Uh... <laughs> I, I try to keep up with a lot of that stuff. I don't play a lot of it, to be honest. I do I do play a lot of football manager. It's not quite as interactive. I guess it is interactive in some ways. I play it. I've uh, been doing that for a while. I actually got that sent to me by MLS way back in the day. They had a care package with a Freddie Adu jersey and a football manager thing. And I wish they wouldn't have sent me that football manager thing because it's cost me a lot of hours of my life by playing <laughs> I get it. I now buy it. Actually, what I do is I get it every other year. Just because then I would just wear it out, you know, play it for two years straight with the same, you know, whatever. Because there's so many variations, obviously. And then every second year I'll buy it. Now it's on the, I guess it's on Steam. It's all online. So I've been yeah. doing that. But uh, you know, you guys killing that trivia because it kills me. I can't win the LAFC trivia. No. Oh, no, no. it's so hard. It's, it's, it's I between, don't even know this it's, stuff. Like, I'm like, I've been there since day one. How do you guys Same go? here. Yes. That's, uh, it's, it's Scarf and it's who earns it. Scarf, like, legit is, oh, you know, just... he has, he's on fire. Him and, and LAFC Central, Blake, they, they those guys are always on it, like, always in the top. And then Rich is there, but it's because Rich, you know, has insider information, right? Yeah, that's none of my business. I don't know, man. I, I, love, <laughs> I love my boss. He's great. Um, <laughs> I do, then I'll like, I'll really fast answer one. I'll be like, oh yeah, this is a tough one. And they're like, eighty-nine percent got it right. Well, oh, what is that? How do you? How do you people all know this? I had to like rack my brain to get that one. And I'm like, I, like I said, I've seen every second of this team. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you people know this stuff? <laughs> uh, I got, I, evidently I got to do more studying, you know, because once, apparently once a game is done, I'm, uh, I lose track of it or something. I know I'm getting old, but unbelievable. It's just like, these guys are incredible. The, the trivia is fun. I've been doing that a little bit, you know, I mean, obviously it's difficult in some ways, but it's kind of cool that it's challenging, you know, I mean, I kind of like that where it's not just everybody's going to get every answer correct because nobody gets them all right, certainly. And, you know, it's kind of fun to see who's at the top, even though it's not, I've never cracked the uh, the scoreboard there top that they chose at the end of each round. Yeah, I've never never come close, quite frankly. Well, it's funny. My in-game experience is a lot of shouting and yelling and screaming, and Scarf describes his in-game experience as taking a lot of notes, and apparently that note-taking paid off. But Yes, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it works out. But in addition to trivia... Uh, we've also seen a number of other events throughout the LAFC community. Christian mentioned the pods. That recent one with Mia Ham was killer for shooting the shot. But we've had deep dives and turbo trivias and center circles and on the sticks, in 30, black and gold rewinds, top of the list, ask a physician, max live, staying home, LAFC play. I mean, I think we're just so blessed to have so many different outlets that the club has given us at this point in time in order to be able to access media in all these various different ways and to be able to stay connected even though we're not being able to watch real games at the moment so to speak uh, even if we are listening to creative ones but have any of those pieces of communication touched you guys or have those been things you've been able to keep up with i have to be honest 60 hours a week on the clock i've missed a lot of it myself um, but it has been uh, a joy to be able to watch some of those recorded Bundesliga games. I'm, I'm curious if you guys have uh, picked up a new team in the Bundesliga. If I got some Munchen Gladbach fans here all of a sudden, or who no. knows, you know? Oh, man. 
Union, Union Berlin, bro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, guys. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, yeah, hello. Uh, Dortmund. We're okay. black and gold till the end. You know, no, I do like Union Berlin too. It's a great story. You know, that, I'm oh, always. It is. When I don't care enough about a league to really dive in, I love football, so I'm gonna watch every league. But like, I don't have like that one passionate team like LAFC. So it's just I like the story of Union Berlin. I like underdogs, you know. I'm always going to root for teams to avoid relegation. I like Brighton in the Premiership because my friend lives over there, but I don't really care about the Premier League at all. So, you know, it's just, it's fun football to watch. But for me, yeah, Union's got a good story. But And it's great to be back with football, which is why, you know, I'm loving the Bundesliga right now. But it doesn't replace yeah. MLS and the black and gold. I'm sorry. Last April of last year, I was actually on an 18-hour layover in Berlin. And... Those subways were ridiculous because it was the, towards the end of the league, right? So, you know, they were coming up and it was just the atmosphere was electric. And I had I, I didn't even know what was going on, right? But it was just this energy that the city had. So I'm happy for them. I'm happy, you know, things are going okay. And I hope they can stay up for a long time. Yeah, they do seem to be the trendy club at the moment. Everyone yeah. seems to be jumping on the Union B bandwagon. No, I'm still at Dortmund. I just, I'm happy that they're okay. Yeah. Uh, it was it was interesting. Like I, uh, as soon as the league started, the Bundesliga started. Union Berlin had their match against Bayern, and then the following match was against Hertha. And before I watched the match against Bayern, I was like, all right, I'm gonna pick a I'm gonna pick a club or whatever. And so I was just like doing a bunch of research, and I watched the Copa ninety Hertha Berlin? and the Derby? Berlin the yeah. Derby. And all, a- after that, I was hooked. After yeah. that, I was hooked. You know, so I ran and, into and some Hertha fans. They're like, just like, like doing this to all the union, like uh, on the train. It was, it was hilarious. It was just very tense, but it was just, you know, I was there for a very limited time. But I'm like, what's going on right now? Well, I loved the first game back earlier in the year for Union. And they had the the fans, kind of remembering the fans who weren't there anymore, who had followed that team and had maybe passed away or whatever. You know, for obviously over the many years that they haven't been in the in the Bundesliga. That was super, super awesome. I mean, just so touching. And how could you root against them? Even if you don't, you know, love them, there's no way you can root against a team like that and a club like that. So I just think it's funny because real quick story. We always think, you know, in Europe, they, oh man, it's just, obviously it's even as a, you know, before MLS was around, you'd be like, oh, I wish we could live in Europe, right? It's just nothing, but it's beautiful soccer. I went to a game in Switzerland in the top flight there and just decided that that was going to be my team as a team called Luzerne. You know, it's in the top flight of the uh, Swiss League. And they were, this was a few years back. I was on vacation with my wife. So she said, let's go to a game. And they were playing for the final, one of the final games of the season. Actually, it might have been the final week. And it was for a, a, a spot in the Europa League. So we take a bus to the stadium. It's only a few miles away from the uh, hotel. They win. Big rivalry game. They win. They qualify for Europa League. We take the bus back, and me, the American who's been there for 12 minutes, I'm screaming and cheering like we made it. To the <laughs> and all these Swiss fans are just like, oh, please, what are you doing? We came in fifth, and we're barely squeaking in the Europa League. Like we don't even care. I was like sitting there going, yeah, you know, jump. Like, all these people are looking at me like, who's this idiot American here? Who like, you know, we don't even think you like soccer. You know, it's like so. They're not all diehards like we are <laughs> over there too. So. Uh, they're from they're from Lozano, right? On the Swiss Italian border, is not Lucerne. Um, no, Lucerne is a. It's kind of it's spelled differently. So Lucerne can be with a C or a Z. So it's actually a, a town called Lucerne. It's right on Lake Lucerne, and it's different than Lozano. But uh, uh, it's you know they've been in the top flight for a long time. They're very you know middle 
middle of the pack. There's 10 teams in the top flight, so they're usually anywhere from fourth to seventh. You know, they might battle for a Europa League spot, but that year they won a Europa League spot and nobody seemed to care but me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and they also might just be a little bit more uh, of a, a critical critical fan because they get so disappointed so so often that they're like well, they're diehards. So it's a good point, actually. Like they probably had higher hopes than that, you know. So yeah. it's just but. You got to take what you can get over there, you know, especially right. with Basel and everybody, you know, dominating. Yeah. So it's nice. It's nice to see people focusing on the German game a little bit, you know, Max and his later host. And it's nice for Philly and I not to be the only idiots out there in later and for a change. It's good to see. So hopefully, you know, we can continue to to just watch some live sporting. And hopefully it looks like Prem is about to pick up in two weeks. So We'll get that, and hopefully MLS can figure something out, whether it's an Orlando tournament, whether it's some kind of you know sequestered players in empty stadiums, something. I'm curious, Dave, you know, to what would your reopen plan be? Do you think a, a localized one-city tournament or some kind of private flights and sequestered players in closed stadiums, what do you think would be the best way to reopen MLS? I think it's probably the way they're talking right now. Just get to one location for now, play like a turn. And I don't know what the format's exactly going to be. I've heard a few options. Play something similar to almost like a World Cup where you have groups. Maybe these would be larger, obviously, because we have, what, 26 teams now in MLS that are playing. So, you know, play everybody at least once. And that doesn't mean the season has to end after that, too. You know, you can have this little mini tournament. And possibly then go back to each city, depending on where we are in the fight against COVID-19, where we are in the calendar, you know, where, where that takes us. We could see football back at the bank, fingers crossed, maybe, you know, September, October, somewhere around there. Maybe, you know, you never know. It also depends on where some of these states are because everybody has to be on the same page that way. I don't think it would be fair to send everybody back home. But, oh, you're in a state that won't allow you to play, so you're going to have to play all your home games somewhere. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So I do think you're not going to see the rest of the season be played out completely in Orlando. It's either going to be a tournament and then you go back to your stadiums or maybe that tournament will be about it, you know, and maybe then the season will just have to end that way. I don't know, but I think the plan is you know, a good one from what I'm hearing in terms of how they're going to handle this, you know, trip to what looks like Orlando, you know, for sure. You know, that would probably be the location with the Disney resort. So I don't see any other way around that right now because it's not like every state, every city is on the same page in their fight against this thing currently. I'm curious, you know, how the trophies are going to be handled this year. You know, obviously at the end of a tournament, if they have just established a tournament, the winner of the tournament gets the MLS Cup. That's easy. But yeah. how would you... Spot Champions League, of course, that would coincide with that. I would think, though, you'd almost have to give the rest of the Champions League spots to the ones who earned it for this year. Not, I mean... That's easy for me to say since we were involved. But, you know, say LAFC doesn't win, for instance. We go to Orlando and maybe we lose in the final or whatever. I don't know that you could take away a champ. Like, who else is going to get these Champions League spots, really? You know, like, is it the next three in line who had them before? And maybe you can give one to the, you know, the winner of this tournament. I think you do have to have something to play for in this tournament at Orlando. But Does yeah. that mean someone falls out? Yeah, I would think. Well, I mean, look, if you had the fourth spot this year, eh, sorry, I mean, or the whatever it was. I mean, obviously, the Canadian champion is a little different. That's a little different angle. I don't know how they're going to handle that, quite frankly. That's a good, interesting point. That That's separate for me when it comes to the Champions League. The Canadian champion, 
has nothing to do with us in essence when it comes to Champions League. So yeah, I think maybe that fourth spot is up for grabs essentially. Like maybe we should be guaranteed one, right? Right. Well, and, and how do you you know how do you issue out the supporter shield? Does LAFC just hold on to the supporter shield for the 2020 season and we kind of just restart it as a fresh slate in 2021? You know, it's like these are, I mean, obviously these don't have to be answered right now, but I'm just wondering, you know, what are some people's thoughts on them? Yeah, I don't think you can hand out a shield for eight or nine games. That just, that cheapens it. Now, I don't think MLS Cup is cheapened only because we're in unprecedented circumstances. I mean, this is once, hopefully once in a lifetime, right? Once every hundred years, in essence, we see something this dramatic health-wise. So let's hope it never happens again. So I don't think, you know, winning MLS Cup has any you know, asterisk ring. I'm sorry, it shouldn't. You know, this is just right. the time no, we're living in, you know? Well, everyone but, in theory is agreeing to the same tournament, yeah, so exactly. there shouldn't be. I don't think you can give out a supporter shield for 10 games. There's no point. Right. Just, there is no winner of that this year. Let's just say that. Right. And there's no advantage either. Like, if we were to do the uh, the tournament style, everybody is still yeah. on the same. So there's no advantage. So it, there shouldn't be an asterisk because... You know, an asterisk means it is it is lesser for whatever reason. It's like, hey, a trophy. This trophy still designated the champion of the league for this year, and this is the format for this year. So, yeah, yeah I agree. So like we haven't seen that, format changes before. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, we've seen penalty shootouts, no penalty shootouts. I mean, it's not like there's been continuity for all these years that we can go back and say, oh, well, 25 years, it's always been played the same way. It hasn't. The rules have already changed multiple times in the course of 25 years. So if it happens once for these extreme circumstances, I don't think, I mean, as far as the Champions League goes, why not just pick up where we left off next year? If if we end up not being able to play this summer and there's not that option, why not just, you know, send us down to DFA to play Cruz Azul at the beginning of next year and just pick up where we left off. I mean, I don't lucky see enough, why. Lucky enough, they qualified. Them and Leon well, have already been announced. It's a good yeah. point, though. You know, I mean, even if they didn't, even if they hadn't, just go back to where we were. It isn't a bad idea. And it actually kind of lessens next year's schedule to a certain extent because we're already a certain distance into the tournament, right? So you would have a few less rounds. It actually makes a little sense because I think we're all going to be on weird schedules for the next year or two in professional sports, not just MLS, not just League MX, but that's a great point. I think that is a good idea. Just pick it up. Why not? I mean, nobody else who deserves it more. Nobody's nobody's really getting the shaft, if you will. They're not getting screwed out of something essentially because we're not playing these games anyway. That's a good that's a great idea, actually. Well, plus, I mean, we have Olympics and all these other tournaments that take place in Europe and other parts of the world that have been impacted by this. And now we see this crunch as well, too. And I think, you know, for teams that earned their way to this point for it all just to go away and mean nothing that kind of cheapens this year's champions league as well too. So that would be my two cents on it, but yeah, you know, and we were just talking about it too, real quick. It, you know, if you're going to whine about, Oh, this isn't a real MLS cup, get bigger priority. I mean, seriously, like you're kind of a jerk. I mean, I don't want to, you know, say it too specifically to anybody, but re-examine your priorities in life. If you're like, oh, this MLS Cup won't count or it'll be tainted, who cares in that sense? Like, we are in unprecedented times. This has just never happened and hopefully never will again. I mean, let's just all be mature about this and do the best we can and enjoy it instead of whining about, oh, well, you know, this is unfair. Life is unfair right now for everybody, unfortunately. Let's just try to get back as safely and as fast as we can. 
Right. I mean, there was a point in time when there was only ten teams. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't even remember. You weren't even born then. Come on. No, I remember. I remember. I remember. Some of us might have been around for those games. That's but. right. I remember the mutiny and the Miami fusion. Yeah. Exactly, dude. Pibe Valderrama. I love oh, him. He was the best. Oh my gosh, so good. So good. Well, that about wraps it up for what's going on in the community at the moment. But since we have such an illustrious guest with us today, I'd love to transition into the interview portion of the show here. And we have, you know, the get of all gets this week, right? I mean, the man whose voice has been tantalizing us all here in the LAFC community for the better part of a generation. I hate to say that to you, sir, but your voice <laughs> has become synonymous with the beautiful game, but certainly been part of the sonic landscape, so to speak, of the Southern California sports scene for some time now. And blessed we are to have you here. And we know it is under some very dark cloud at the moment. So aside from creating games out of your head, what have you been doing to keep yourself occupied during these insane quarantine times? Yeah, you know, it's a, it is an insane time. There's no doubt. I, I've been watching my 18 month old grow up before my eyes, essentially. So my wife, thankfully, is able to work from home. So I am not, of course, working at this point. So I've basically just uh, been babysitting every day, which has been great. So don't get me wrong. I still miss the beautiful game and I miss the bank and I miss calling the games. There's no doubt about that, but at least I'm still busy because if I didn't, if I wasn't chasing her around every day, I would be losing my mind right now without this, without the beautiful game. It's bad enough as it is, but yeah, basically doing a lot of babysitting right now. Well, we know we've heard it from you on a few other shows, but we'd be curious for our audience. Why don't you tell us how you fell in love with soccer and how it became a part of your life growing up in Ohio? Yeah, you know, grew up in Cleveland where we were taught to hate soccer for no good reason, frankly. We just and we played it when we were kids. I, I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, and we were just starting to get a taste of it in America. Like, you know, in terms of places where it hadn't already been immensely popular, was just starting to get a taste of it, like in, you know, I guess the Midwest and Cleveland and everything. And and there's a lot of soccer fans here, but we just growing up it was always Browns, Indians, Cavs. We didn't know much else. But I started to fall in like with it, uh, in like with the game, kind of in the early to mid-90s, right when I knew we were getting the World Cup. That was a big turning point. When the United States got the World Cup and we knew it was coming, then I just started – because one of the the, pre, uh, the prerequisites was we were going to have to have a professional league, and I love professional sports. So when I knew that MLS was coming, even after the World Cup, first you have a phenomenal World Cup experience, right? And that just blew me away. And then, you know, a league has to be coming on, you know, the doorstep of that or on the back end of that. That got me really interested in MLS right away. And, you know, in Cleveland, we're not, you know, opposed to Columbus too often for most things. They didn't really have a lot of sports going on. So I started to follow the crew when they first game. I went down there early in the first season and watched a few games, had a, a, a high school buddy who happened to be on the team for just a cup of coffee and went down there and started to you know, really get into it, but wasn't really a diehard Columbus crew fan, just more of MLS. I just wanted the league to do well. I don't know if you guys remember the days that back that far when we were worried about attendance numbers and we were so panicked because teams were getting 3,000 a game and we didn't know if the league was still going to be around the next day. And, you know, going to bigsoccer.com every day to talk about the league. The Internet was huge. Huge for MLS back in the early days to kind of some of those it. chat boards, huh? Yes, that's it got me. <laughs> no doubt, bigsoccer.com is a big part of the reason why MLS is still here and why I love the beautiful game as much as I do. Came to LA in late 90, 1998 to do sports talk from Cleveland and was the soccer guy. 
That's how I was known. And they mocked me. People mocked me in, in the English radio. I couldn't believe it. It's Los Angeles. It's one of the best soccer markets in the world. And I literally got mocked for loving it. And I was not stupid enough to talk soccer back then on the English radio. That just wouldn't, wasn't going to fly. You know, it was all Dodgers, Angels, and USC and UCLA. But I kept I didn't care if they didn't like it. You know, I just went to LA Galaxy games because they were, you know, that was the team. I'll be honest with you. I was a Galaxy fan. I was a season ticket holder for many of those years. I uh, got to know a lot of the organization because I covered them. And that just, you know, drew me in more. Got to see, you know, obviously success with LA Galaxy, winning some championships. But, you know, once I found out LAFC was going to be right in my backyard at the time, I lived in downtown LA for many years, about 12, 15 years almost. And it was like three miles away, two, three miles from my front door. They were building this new stadium. And I was like, oh, come on. I, this is just ridiculous. It's going to be awesome. And at first, I know a lot of Galaxy fans were like, oh, this is just this is awful. But at that time, I was getting a little disheartened with the organization. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, there was some other things going on. There's a lot of people over there I respect, but I, we no need to get into that. It was all, you know, nothing big, nothing too crazy. But I started to just, you know, look at what LAFC was building and just, just amazed me. So that's how I kind of just fell in love with the black and gold were doing and some of the people they were bringing in. And I just realized how they were doing it first class all the way. But yeah, I've always been, you know, a fan since the world cup. And that, again, I wasn't a fan when I was 10 years old. This was one of my mid twenties by then. So I have been a fan for a long time, but it's, I'm glad that the world cup came here. And I think that was a huge move by FIFA, no doubt about it. And it was a, obviously we all know it was a smashing success and it will be again in 2026 when we share the hosting duties. But I mean, there's nothing like the, I went to the women's world cup in 99 at the Rose bowl, the final, uh, the hottest day of my life, one of the <laughs> best days of my life for my wife and I, as we got to see Brandy Chastain win it. That was awesome. So yeah, those things just cemented my love of the game. And frankly, people hating it just cemented my love for the game anymore. When you're a sports talk show host, right? You're opinionated. So what do I care if people think I, you know, so what? I was in a great, <laughs> right? I'm in a great market for soccer. I could talk with all my Spanish and, you know, speaking friends and they all love the beautiful game. Like we, I had nothing but friends here who we all love the game. So what do I need? You know, what do I care if the midday guy doesn't like soccer? You know, who cares? <laughs> I am um, curious when you fell in love with the game through watching the world's game, did you track any of those players? And, you know, what were some of those first scarves to don your shoulders? What teams did you support outside of MLS? as you sort of followed some of those players throughout the world's game. I'm not like diehard support of any teams, but I just loved soccer so much that I would just, I just ingested it whenever I could. Right. Cause even then it was just starting to take off on television in America. We, we don't, didn't have anywhere near like we do now. We can see everything here virtually, but you know, I used to, I don't Georgie Hagi in the back in the day, the Romanian team, I love Roger Mila and the Cameroon. Uh, that just drew me in just how the, the African teams were just so good and like just a different style. You know, they have South American teams play a little different, even, even, you know, certainly individual countries among South America have their own style. That's the beauty of soccer, right? When not everybody plays the same way, not all the African nations play the same, but man, I love that Cameroon, the indomitable lions, you know, and just what they did. And that drew me in. Uh, I remember there was a video game. It was a computer game at the time. I don't even remember the name of it. This is well before football manager or anything. But for some reason, that Barcelona side way back then was just loaded. And it just oh, it just oh. was so fun to play with that team. And again, Hagi back in the day. Yeah. And that's Leitchkov, 
Romario. Yeah, Stoichkov, that, that was exactly that, that era, you know, it just, mm-hmm. he was so good. And then, of course, when he came to Chicago, I was, you know, enthralled to try to beat him, you know, twice a year or whatever, you know, but right. it was fun to see because he was just one of the best players in the world, you know, and, right. and, you know, and MLS had their fair share over time, you know, so that was fun. You mentioned Valderrama, come on, one of the mm-hmm. greatest players I've ever seen, you know, yeah. and it was just, it, those, yeah. those kind of things cemented it. And I still, to this day, I don't really like love European teams. I, I just I'm, I'm in black and gold, right? I mean, you know, it's like it's fun to watch them. And but I'm I'm a little bit puzzled by people who are like, oh, I'm Liverpool till I die, and they've never stepped foot out of the United States, or you know, like it's just weird to me. <clears throat> Again, if you love soccer, that's great. No disrespect. It's just weird for me. Like I can't have that connection because I get up at four thirty in the morning and I'm, you know, I'm blues till like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Like to me, I, I have to go every week, you know, and to fall in love with something like that. And that's, you know, it's just more power to them. But you know, come on, you go to the bank. That's that's where it is. You know, that's I'm, I'm sorry, you're just missing out if you're not. I was one of those people that you know watched European football. I still do. Um, but oh, yeah. that, that I still have teams there, right? Because you understood what the atmosphere is abroad, right? And that didn't exist here. And like you, I, I would go to Galaxy games, etc. And I feel like I was more excited than the atmosphere was. I mean, they're not oh, yeah. going to say not that the there isn't fans. That, no yeah, between Galaxy and LAFC games, right? And there's fans there that are really excited themselves too. But it's it doesn't it's not it's not everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the same feeling. So. I will say now it's become different, right? Like this has trumped all those teams because of that experience, because I get to even speak about this, because I get to talk to you now. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's shifted a lot of where this hierarchy of what I had, what uh, what team I'm more passionate about. I, I still love those teams that brought me good memories growing up because I love this sport. And there, I watched the sport here. I've always supported it since I can remember. I always watched the important games and even the local teams, right? But it it, it wasn't... It didn't make me feel like that following week after a match, good or bad, the way it does now, right? And that's what's changed. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's the feeling you're looking for. I don't really care if, if Brighton in the Premiership loses. I mean, I, I'm sad for my buddy because, you know, I'm trying to follow the team for him, but I don't really care. I'm a mess if LAFC loses, you know, which thankfully they don't do too often. But, you know, it's just... It, 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 it's all different. It's just how you feel in your gut. You know, that's what the sport is about. That's what the, we can't lose that passion when it comes to soccer. That's what this sport is built on. I would say that my fandom and my perception of fandom within football completely changed with LAFC completely. The buy-in I had to a galaxy game or the buy-in I had to an Arsenal game. You know, I remember when, you know, Arsenal lost to Barcelona in the Champions League final and just being gutted, right? And I was like, oh, you know, I get... And then, like, you know, I mean, we're at the game at the bank season one when we lost in the playoffs, and I'm crying, like, hugging Tyler Miller there, you know, behind the goal, and I'm like, this is... It just... It it all of a sudden, it made sense to me. It made sense to me why the English fans would look at us and say, you know, what you're doing is different than what you're doing when you're a fan over there as opposed to being a fan over here. It... It clicked then in a way it never clicked at a Galaxy game, in a way it never really made sense when I was watching a European game on TV before. So my entire perception of fandom was completely realigned with the inception of LAFC from even what I had experienced in our backyard prior to that. So, you know, I mean, as much as 
I loved watching football and, you know, some of the invincibles and things like that, that I, you know, hung my hat on as being something I was so proud of then it's nothing, nothing. It pales in comparison to the emotional buy-in that I have to LAFC. And it's, it's completely warped my perception. And I'm still very proud of those roots of being an Arsenal fan or, you know, following Demandschaft or some of those other things that I really felt connected to prior to LAFC, but it's so different now. It's so different now. And I think all of us feel that same way about our experience, or at least a significant portion of us within the black and gold community. What's interesting also is that uh, we are all fans of other teams in Los Angeles, right? Uh, Dodgers, Lakers, Kings. And it doesn't matter what other sport it was like. And all of those other teams have been here long before LAFC. And we were all fans of those teams and we followed them and we we cheered when they won and we were gutted when they when they lost but i don't I, at least speaking for myself there has not been a single team that has ever touched me in in my the emotions that i have like lafc has and i don't know if it's because of the community and and how the 3252 and the club and the ownership and how they're how everything just jived because it, to me sport is sport but but what sets LAFC apart that's different is is literally the culture than the Dodgers or the the Lakers or the Kings or whatever. I think it is a good mix though of football and the culture. In other words, I think there's something inherent to soccer though that also brings cuz I mean I don't know how you guys all that just happens to be my favorite sport by far. Like, I mean, I grew up as a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. I still love the Browns. It's not even close to soccer. You know, like it just, I'm sorry. You know, it just is like Dodgers. Great. But there's no comparison in the sport either anymore for me. You know, if that makes sense, MLB, you know, I can't even whatever, you know, like it's just all about the black and gold in that sense. So yes, it, you have to have that community because there's plenty of soccer teams that don't have that in MLS. Quite frankly, they're not as blessed as we are. No, not even close. So it is a perfect mix when it comes to the black and gold. You do have that shoulder to shoulder, and it's not just a phrase, you know, and you do have, you know, street by street, block by block, and it's not just made up. That's how they built the club, and it makes sense inherently. And you have the passion of football, which that's unstoppable in the, in the sports landscape at this point. Well, before we pontificate further about our love for our culture and our game, let's get back to the interview at hand here. And Dave, I'm curious how your experience within the sports scene in Los Angeles was like prior to LAFC and your time with extra sports and some of the other venues in which you have been a part of, uh, whether it was Fox or NBC mm -hmm. or ESPN, and what sort of your perceptions were coming to Los Angeles and becoming a part of the LA sports scene and your early memories. And certainly we remember you from, you know, extra sports and the like. Sure. I, yeah. Like I said, I got here in late 1998 to LA. Uh, I came from Cleveland. I was only doing like a weekend sports talk show there, kind of making my way up. I happened to just be heard by the right person and got a job doing afternoons in LA. So I was a young punk, late twenties, you know, didn't, you know, didn't know anything, but thought I knew everything quite kind of thing. But what I learned rather quickly was, Los Angeles gets such a bad rap as a sports town. It's one of the best sports towns in the world. There are millions of fans here. It's just that there's millions of people, and some of them don't care about sports, and it's more of a Hollywood thing, and that's fine. There's so many facets of life in Los Angeles that sports is just one of many, but it's 
there's so many diehard passionate sports fans that get such a bad rap. So that was fun to actually discover that, quite frankly, going to those games at the forum with the Lakers, Kobe Bryant, just, you know, first couple of seasons. And then, you know, then seeing Staples Center built and how that transformed downtown so much so that my wife and I bought a place down there not long after that, just because we loved what Staples Center had done down there and how I wanted to live down there. And That's then smart move. Teams. Huh. You made out. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, it changed everything, you know, and, and I think that's the beauty of Los Angeles. I mean, there's so much more to it than people know, unless you just, you know, dive in and live here. And I consider myself an Angelino after that long, you know, 20 years or whatever living there. So it's just, it's, that was fun to explore, fun to discover. It's, it's great because there's like, you know, you guys were talking about, there's so many teams, there's something for everyone in the world of sports here. There's so many great fans, you know, and I always used to kind of, rip on people on radio jokingly who would kind of mock the fans in the like say Lakers front row or something you know like oh the real fans are up in the 300 level and like no the real fans are everywhere at Staples Center and the 300 level and the the guy paying $400,000 a year for his seats is up cheering just as loud as you are for every move there you know it doesn't matter what your background is or how much money you have or not there are passionate fans everywhere in LA and, and that is just an awesome thing when you're a sports talk show host coming into a city that is so, even in my head, you know, growing up in Cleveland, we all want to work in, in New York. Nobody thinks about Los Angeles, quite frankly. It's just some, you know, it's a great town out in the West. You go visit, you know, and just go vacation there. But man, that's not true. That's, well, I mean, it is true, but it's also an unbelievable place to do sports and have fun with it. And, you know, I think I grew up a lot just, you know, by being around Angelinos and Angelino sports fans, you know, just the passion is there and it's just so much fun. So that was a lot of fun to experience. I happened to do, you know, radio, pregame, postgame, do other stuff, you know, for every team in LA virtually the Lakers, Clippers, Dodgers, Angels, USC football, UCLA basketball and football and stuff. So I got a chance to experience all of that on some level and, and the passion of that. So that was really kind of eye opening. And kind of something that you don't, you know, the stereotypes are not true. That, oh, you know, fair weather fans in L.A., it's just not true. Yeah, I would love to see somebody go up to Jack on the sidelines at a oh. Laker game and tell him he's not a real fan. Exactly. Yeah, see how that works out or for Or the you. guy on the other side, Norm Pattis, who was, was a radio guy for a number of years. like, And obviously now he's in big into podcasting, I think, or something. You know, But I, I walked up to him as a young kid who had just come to L.A. about a year and I introduced myself to him and I just and I didn't know who he was. I didn't even know he was in radio, even though I'm a radio guy at the time. So it probably looked like I was kissing up. But I was like, I just want to introduce myself because I think you're a great fan. You know, and I know a lot of people give those guys grief or whatever because they're not real. He was a diehard fan, still is for, you know, his whole life, essentially, you know, just because he happens to be spending five hundred thousand dollars a year for those tickets. It doesn't make him less of a fan, you know, than the guy in the 300. They're equal, you know, and that's just they all love the Lakers just the same. You know, and that, that was the beauty of it, really. Do you have any great anecdotes or maybe a story that someone in the LAFC community might not have heard from you about some of your experiences back then? I'm sure you could probably regale us all night, but I'm curious, is there a moment or an experience that stands out for you within the L.A. sports scene from your early years here in town? You know, since it happened and we were actually on the air, I haven't really talked that much about it. It was when the Lakers won that championship, 99, and all the, and, you know, and I won't say the word, you know, that's a bad connotation, but all the celebration going on downtown and everything, it was crazy. And we were we were broadcasting from Staples Center, but the 
like that area where the, the glass is, where you can see out kind of in front of Staples, on that one corner that's kind of rounded there, right by the statues. It's on Chick Hearn. Yeah. Lane, I think. So we were broadcasting, so this is what, 1999, I guess, to maybe 2000, you know, and everybody's running around celebrating outside, and we're doing like hours of radio right after the game, and it was just unbelievable. Then the parade that followed, of course, after, and the celebration, just those days, just a, just like a few days. And But really the story is going to Indiana. We actually went to Indiana to broadcast, and a funny part of it is we did our shows in Indiana, not from the stadium or from a radio station. We did them from a movie theater that at the time, which probably seems blasé now, at the time they served food and alcohol and everything. Like you actually ate in the theater. Like they had waitresses and waiters come around and you could watch a couple of movies at once, like back to back while eating dinner with your friends around a table and kind of like, I mean, I, again, that seems so passe, but I mean, I'm sure it's being done everywhere. But at that time, it, we thought it was the coolest thing. We were broadcasting in the lobby. Then we go watch a couple of movies and eat and then go see the Lakers. And like, it was phenomenal. Uh, just a great trip. So yeah, that, that really cemented my love for, and then we took a trip to Vegas. Funny story. I don't think we really, you know, I haven't talked about this in a long time. It was a Mike Tyson fight against a, a guy they called the White Buffalo. Francois Botha was his name. And this is, you know, just... This is one of those, you know, guys who's going to be in the ring for about 12 seconds with Tyson. This is at the height, the height of Mike Tyson's powers, right? And so we go to Vegas, and it's a fight weekend at the MGM. Oh, my goodness. I mean to tell you, you have not seen a scene like this in Vegas. I haven't seen anything like it since the NBA All-Star game, maybe a few years later that was in Vegas. It was crazy. And all the athletes coming into town to watch Tyson. He was the biggest athlete in the world at that time. And all the guys in the casinos the nights before, I couldn't, I can't tell you the, but the funniest part, I'm down on the, we had a great seat. We happen to have being good with the promoters. We were down like probably about 10 rows off of the, of the actual ring. And Tyson comes in and the place is going nuts. And I look up to a seat that's far worse than mine. And the old Cleveland Indian slugger, Albert Bell, is there taking pictures with a disposable camera, the ones where he like, <laughs> he's like, he's going to rewind them all up. Oh my end. goodness. He is going nuts. Rewinding this thing with Tyson coming in. He's just like, can't stop. Like click, 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 like a kid in a candy store. It was unbelievable. And all the people gambling and everything, just what, what follows a weekend of boxing in that town, as we all know, I'm sure many of us, you know, I'm sure you guys have probably been there for boxing weekends. It is unreal. This one was times 10. I've never seen anything like it. It was just incredible. All the celebrities that were going crazy for Mike Tyson then. And they, yeah, those kind of things, they stick with you. It's a good part of the job, I got to admit. It's a lot of fun. Let's talk about the interview and actually you coming and wanting the job as the commentator for LAFC. So how, you know, take us back to when you first heard about the job, the interview, and what that was like. Yeah, I'd heard about, you know, rumblings of the team right around from the first time they were in, you know, essentially the rumors started flying and the stadium was going to be built. I knew it was going to be in my neighborhood. And I had kind of heard that they, you know, they were going to be doing things the right way. So it very it was very intriguing right from the start. I liked what they were about. And I happened to know the vice president of uh, communications who was getting hired. His name is Seth Burton. He worked oh, with, yeah. the, with me at the Clippers. We worked together there. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll start talking. We'll just, you know, we'll have some conversations, see where it goes. You know, this is this is months and years and before the team was even around, really, at least a year before. 
And so we started talking. I got a chance to see what they were building over. Did you guys ever go to the Experience Center? Do you remember that? Uh, Oh, yeah, over off of uh, Pico. Just outside Mm -hmm. of downtown right there. Yeah, right around the 110 there on Pico. So I got the chance to kind of get a tour of that. They kind of showed me around. And, you know, it wasn't – the thing is you never really – at this point with this kind of job, you're not really interviewed, to be honest. You know, they know what I can do. Seth has worked with me. You know, they know at this time I'm working for Fox Soccer doing games and stuff. So, you know, there's there's less of like, a, oh, let's sit down and do three interviews with people. Quite frankly, I just kind of like met a lot of people and, you know, just maybe they were impromptu interviews in their minds. I wasn't really thinking that way at the time. But, you know, we talked football. We talked what, you know, LAFC was building, what they were trying to, you know, accomplish. I met with Rich a little bit, you know. And uh, Richard Roscoe and just seeing what they were building, he and Pat and everybody, it just it was so exciting. So I, I made no bones about it. I just wanted to be involved. You know, I didn't it wasn't like I was trying to be coy or anything. I just was like, I want this job if you guys want me to do it. You know, it's and and it just kind of worked out. You know, it kind of went that way. I really didn't officially know I got it till really close to kickoff time essentially it was not that like it really didn't announce it uh, that you know much earlier than you know a couple days before although i kind of knew i was going to be doing it but we really kind of were trying to you know square everything away with the deal with 710 of course i worked at 710 at the time too that didn't hurt obviously i had the soccer weekly show so it just kind of all came together you know there are some points in some jobs where you're not really – it's not really like an interview process per se. I mean I know they talk to other people. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, I was the only one that – you know, not by no means. But I think it just fit every time we talked, you know, and it just – I kept being introduced to more and more people, a few owners, and then would get involved, you know. And LAFC does their due diligence. They know what they're doing, you know, and they – but it just didn't feel quite like – it kind of just felt more like, do you want to be part of the family? great, let's do it, you know, and it just was, it wasn't, it wasn't about, like, going and giving them a tape of my work or anything like that, you know, I think they just kind of believed that I believed, and I knew what they were trying to do, and I think, you know, now I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't know that they knew I could do the job, though, if that makes sense, in a weird way, like, doing a 90 minutes of, you know, soccer on the radio, for the English-speaking side, has not done that often over the years in L.A. Like, I mean, yes, Joe Tutino is a great guy. been doing it for the, you know, the Galaxy for a long time. But they took a leap of faith, you know, that I could actually perform because I had been doing television only you know, at the time. But they knew I was a radio guy and, I, you know, I, I thought I could handle the job. And I thought, I, you know, I felt confident in that. I had done some soccer along the way. So they did take a leap of faith with me. And, you know, thankfully, I, you know, hopefully it's worked out for them. But it's worked out for me, no doubt about it. Can you talk about the difference, uh, TV versus radio, in terms of announcing a football match? A night and day, really. You know, I mean, it's just, it, you're trying to paint a picture in in radio, and in TV, you're trying to stay out of the way. And again, TV is just as difficult or, or just as easy, whichever way you want to put it. There's no difference in terms of who's better or who, there's nothing like that. But it's more, you 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 really are trying to let the story breathe on TV, Right, because you you can watch and see it in your own living room. Like you don't need you don't need people getting in the way. But in radio, I have to tell you what's going on, or you're going to be wondering why. What are you doing down home? You know, like <laughs> I can't I can't follow the football. What what's going on? You know, so it's a whole different animal that way. And it's one of the reasons that I think we talked about a little bit earlier. That I didn't particularly want to have an analyst with me because I didn't want to like get lost in that. When I do a game, whether it's faux traffic or a real one, you just got to dive in. 
and you just have to, you know, explain to people what's going on as best you can. And I try to get some tactics in there and certainly try to, you know, let people know what's going maybe in a broader scale, what the managers are thinking at times or what players are thinking. But you just got to you just got to make sure they know what the action is and, and be as fired up as possible for them to live it. You know, and it is a lot different that way. I've always been impressed with people that do sports over the radio uh, because of the sheer number of information that you have to know. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to know your whole roster. You need to know the visiting team's roster. And I I had always, you know, I never really listened to football uh, on radio until I started watching LAFC. And so I would, like, listen to Vin and I would listen to Dodger games. And that's a little bit slower. But listening to you having to tell and paint the picture of a match and you've got all the different so you've got you know 22 players on the pitch and the ball is constantly moving and it's just back and forth i mean it's i mean it's difficult it's probably got to be one of the hardest things to stay up on because there is there's so many people and the ball moves so fast i mean it's like hockey but with more people right so it's i mean it is there is so much more involved in this and i just i i'm just I'm in shock and in awe once I had actually started listening to it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, I mean, it's, I've done a lot of other sports, and I would say soccer's right up there, probably being maybe one of the tougher ones, you know. And I think hockey still, though, with all the line changes, and, oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine. It's so fast and all the line changes you got to keep track of. I, I can't even I throw my hands up. At least we only got three – well, five subs now, but at least we only have three subs normally. You know, you can, And you can kind of generally know when those are coming in the world of football, right? Right. Unless there's an yeah. injury. Yeah, you know, I mean, it. it's definitely, uh, I guess, you know, technically not easy to do. I mean, but um, it's, it's really just – the beauty of it is with soccer too is the, like that passion we talked about is you just know the people listening to you. They know what – you're talking about like they know the game by and large. And I know there's always going to be people who maybe tune into Vin and they never really listen to baseball or don't know that much about it. And you have to kind of cater to them too. But the passion is there. Generally yeah. speaking, most of the fans know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about what's going on on the pitch, you know, and where the ball is and how that's really cool to me. Like I know that they're, you know, they are on the same page as me because we love the game, you know, and that's really what it's more about. I have to deliver the passion. You know, this is not to me. That's what this sport is about. Like you just have to deliver what's going on at the bank through that radio to those people that are listening. They're taking their time to listen to you. You have got to bring it. Like I, I don't joke around about it. Like I stand up during the game. It's a workout. It really, it's two hours. I'm dead after every game because I'm just going to scream my guts out as much as I can and be as much as passionately involved as I possibly can be. And I, I think it comes through because, you know, your voice almost goes at the pace of the, the that the team plays. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's super interesting. And the, the, the thing that's very skillful in the way that you describe things is you still find these little moments or nuances where you can describe the player's attitude or the way he kicked someone or he was kicked mm-hmm. or where the, what side of the pitch the ball is at, or, you know, maybe this incredible pass or no look thing that happened. And I, I we mentioned before the podcast, that, you know, one of the things I grew up on, this is my favorite sport, I grew up watching it both in English and Spanish, TV and radio, and not everyone in English is able to do that on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, There's only a handful that I've been able to, you know, listen to and feel like, you know, they do translate that passion as much as, you know, Latin announcers can do it. 
And that's very difficult to do at a fast pace, I feel like, in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that you're able to translate. And, you know, to me, I hope that your career with LAFC is long and it equates to what Chick Hearn means to me uh, when I watched the Lakers back in the day. Wow. I, all I can say is thank you. And I hope you're right. That would be awesome because there's you know nothing but respect for the, the legends in L.A. around sports that have been broadcasting here for many years. When you talk about painting a picture in the English game, I'm often reminded of the famous scene from The Simpsons where you see the exact same scene played out both in English and in Spanish. And one is, <laughs> yeah. is very dry and the yeah, other sure. is very animated. And creating that when you have a game being played in front of you is certainly a skill. What is unfathomable to me is creating that when you don't actually have a game in front of you. So what's really fresh on all of our minds and what I really want to hear about, sir, is faux trafico. The inspiration, the execution. Obviously, we saw the final product. I've listened to it twice. It's amazing. Mm. I'm really curious. Take us through the inception of that right down to the details and the process of what you and Mario put together. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of has been just on my mind, obviously, since the lockdown. I mean, there would be no reason to do this if we weren't missing football, right? I mean, nobody would try this if we were all doing games. It wouldn't make much sense. So when the lockdown occurred, my wife and I were talking and she just said, do you think you could just call a game out of thin air, essentially, for 90 minutes? And I said, no. No way. There's just I would get lost. It's impossible. But, yeah, you start to think about it a little bit. Right. Because then then there's no games. We know that there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a postponement of the season. So I started thinking about it more. I had time on my hands and I finally called Mario, my producer, Mario Reeves over at 710, who also produces the the, uh, LAFC games. And it's been with us from day one. And I said, do you think I should try it? He said, yes. And I wish I wouldn't have asked him in some level because then I really kind (laughs) of. And, you know, I've been telling everybody this, though, guys, I wouldn't be talking to you if, if it failed. Right. If, I, if it failed, Mario and I were going to have a laugh about it. We might have listened to it a few times if I had to quit for any reason, if I lost my way. And it just you would have never known about it. So I took a shot, but I also knew that I it wasn't like I was doing it live, quite frankly. You know what I mean? So they, like I knew, take your time, set it up to where you think you can make this happen. And then just give it your best shot. And that's what I did. So it took me a few weeks to kind of wrap my head around it. I had to kind of determine how I was going to do it because I committed to having no script. That would make no sense. You know, like there'd just be no point in writing anything out. I, all I knew, it was not going to end zero zero. I think you've probably heard me tell people that. Like I was not going to do 90 minutes to make it nil nil. I knew someone would score, but I had no clue where this was going from the, as soon as I heard that fake whistle to start the game in my head. And then Mario, of course, put all the finishing touch, everything, you know, audibly on there besides me is all the great work of Mario to just take it to a whole nother level. But, you know, once I decided to do it, it did take a little while that we, we had to kind of map out, could we pull this off to make it sound really good? You know, not just me talking. So I had to get some equipment that I ordered. I had my headset that I normally use. I have an extra one of those. So that's the one I use for the game. I bought some equipment Mario recommended that could make it sound a little bit, you know, like more professional as I recorded it. And then I just sat here and put on iMovie just to make sure there was proof that I it's weird because I I wanted to record myself doing it so people wouldn't think I was making this up. But then I thought, well, it is a fake game. What what am I broadcasting from? It's like, oh, see, I'm doing it all on. Well, who cares? It's a fake game. Nobody's going to, you know, it's not like I'm broadcasting some you know, video game or something, you know, like 
But I did happen to have the iMovie, so they were able to use that in the LAFC portion of that. They did a great job deciding to kind of take it to that visual level as well, putting a scoreboard up, making it a little bit more palatable on YouTube, obviously, and Twitch and whatever. But, yeah, Mario gets a lot of credit for, you know, taking over. He had a lot of work to do. Mine was a two-hour window, just like a game. I took a 15-minute halftime break to get my tea, to get my, you know, lozenges all squared up, used the restroom, and then I got right back to it, just like a regular game. You know, I had my pre-game, halftime, post-game. Mine was a couple-hour window with a lot of work beforehand, but Mario had all the work afterwards, and it was days where I kept hounding him, you know, like, are you done yet? Because <laughs> I was give so excited. Give me a taste. Give me a taste. <laughs> yeah, so it was a long process, but it, once we got going and once we got the ball rolling and committed to it, it, uh, it worked out pretty well. So I, I'm curious, you know, you didn't have the script. So how did you keep everything straight? Did you have a board where you at least had the names of the players there? I'm there showing you, go. you guys the board, yeah. <laughs> um, what I did was uh, I kind of mapped out on just a, a thick piece. Well, these are the papers I use. It's really heavy paper. It's what I use for a regular game where I put the lineups and, and notes. I also have my note card. Pre-game, I did all my notes like a regular, you know, broadcast, you know, for LAFC and the Galaxy. Um, and then... I put together boards for each half because, of course, you go in different directions. So I wanted to write out this is my second half board where I had, you know, the names on every, you know, the, in the formation that I would suspect that they would play mostly. But this allowed me, if you see when I'm doing the game, if you happen to see the YouTube or Twitch, like I'm looking at a piece of paper that is not a script. It's just where the players are in my mind on the field that I can kind of follow the ball, you know, if. For instance, if Kenneth Vermeer launches a free kick into the corner there, I know that Insua is going to chase it down a certain way with Brian Rodriguez or Rossi, depending on if they've switched sides a little bit. So I kind of just had that in my head to kind of just guide me, you know, in terms of who's on the pitch, where, where are things going to happen more frequently than most. And, you know, where you know, the, like most of the actions generally in the you know middle third of the field and things like that. So it made it a little easier to follow in my mind the fake ball <laughs> that was going around the field, I guess, for lack of a better term. What was, like, the response? Did any of that have, I'm sure players and the people in the, I'm sure, I know people at the front office have listened, but have the players listened? Have they given you any feedback on? I don't think so, not that much, to be honest. I mean, uh, D, uh, Adama Diamande um, kind of shot out, right, out right away on Twitter, like, yeah, so apparently I scored during the quarantine. <laughs> so he, you know, obviously somebody had either told him or, I don't think he was probably listening. Yeah, I don't know that anybody was really, you know, the players are. I, I, I suspect, you know, it's funny because they do tend to, like, hear the goal calls. LAFC does a good job of kind of getting stuff out afterwards. And a lot of players will come up to you and be like, oh, that was, you know, an amazing call on my goal. Like, you know, because, you know, they probably want to go find their goals and, like, listen to stuff and see their highlights and stuff. Who can blame them, you know? So I do get a lot of reaction that way for real games, but I don't think they're probably uh, too quick to, you know, I'll be surprised if the next time I see any of them, you know, out of training or something, they're going to be like, oh, I listened, you know? So maybe, I hope so. You're not going to get beef from Kay for getting subbed out earlier. Harvey's like, why didn't you start me? Like, you know, uh, he might actually, yeah. He might actually give me a, a good-natured ribbing for that. But Cifuentes was ready and waiting, you know? I mean, I had <laughs> I thought Kay got a little tired. I did. I thought he was wearing down in my mind a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I thought he – and I, I subbed out Brian Rodriguez – or, well, Bob subbed out Brian Rodriguez. <laughs> he was playing pretty well, actually, at the time. So that was I love how you also sort legs of, of Dio in there. Yeah. You comment on some of the decision-making as it's happening. Like, oh, this is the move from Bob. And, you know, like, it. you know, hearing it all, I mean, it seemed so natural. And I think – 
at moments when you stopped and you said, you know, brought to you by my complete sense of boredom at the moment, <laughs> like it almost in that moment, I was like, oh yeah, this isn't real. Like, yeah, cause yeah. I got so absorbed in it that those quick little moments almost took me out of it for a second. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. This is all make believe, but yeah, I definitely point. Maybe I shouldn't have, but you know, I, I had been approached about like, oh, do you want to put, you know, use sponsors and do you want to like have sponsors? And I didn't want to have any financial implication to this at all really you know i don't want i didn't do this for like money or anything like that you know we didn't do it for that and quite frankly we're using the galaxy you know so it has to kind of like we can't really force that on them you know like i mean this is not like uh, i didn't ask permission you know it's just uh, for my opinion it's quite frankly just like a what what would be like an artist doing something or you know satire or something you know like it but I didn't want to attach any kind of financial thing to it. So I didn't want any sponsors to it or anything. So I had to kind of make those up on the fly, you know, and just, uh, and just, that's the only thing I can think of quite frankly, a little goofy, but, <laughs> and it does hilarious. take you out of it a little bit. So maybe that's a bad thing, quite frankly. But. No, I thought, it, I thought it was a great touch. Uh, I, it's interesting. I wonder if we could find somebody to like animate this game, you know, find somebody to listen to the, to listen to the whole thing. And then you have them actually create the game as an animation, like a video game or whatever it is, that kind that of simulation. Yeah. That would blow my mind. Yeah, Let's get FIFA on the phone. Yeah. 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 I got five bucks on it right now. I call FIFA, <laughs> you know? Brilliant. So you I'm curious. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Forget about me. I don't, that's an awesome idea. When it comes to writing and scripting something like this, you do have a little bit of a background in, writing a script and putting something like that together with the TV show that you worked on. So were you able to pull anything from the breaks and did that influence you at all in creating faux Traffico? Not, not, I mean, I do write a lot, like, you know, I do happen to write scripts and things like that and try, you know, so I mean, yeah, I love story. So the, that definitely plays a factor because you have to tell a good story. And of course you have to tell a really good story when you're making it up, you know, like a game because it's not just playing out in front of you. There's plenty of drama in the real thing for me, every game that I do. That's the beauty of LAFC. You know, they, they are so good and they just, it's awesome to broadcast. But when you're making it up, yeah, I mean, it certainly as a storyteller, there's definitely a factor like that. But uh, you kind of just have to lose yourself in it when it comes to sports and sports broadcasting. You just have to dive in and just go, you know. And it, the good thing is after about five or ten minutes, you kind of know if it's going to work or not. Like I said, I mean... If I didn't get lost in my own head and if I felt like it was going pretty well, then I think I could just totally turn myself over to it and just like let it go. And that's why you don't really hear a goal, I think, for a while. Like some people are thinking, oh, it's just going to be eight nothing. You know, like one guy on social media when it first started, I was like, this is ridiculous. You're just going to make this an eight nothing thrashing. You know, like within the first two minutes, I'm like, no, just keep listening. You know, like it didn't turn out that way. So I wanted to make it realistic, but you just kind of, you kind of just have to let it go. Because if you're thinking too much about it, you're going to let that story get in the way, you know. And if, that's a problem with writing, you know. Sometimes if you're if you're overthinking it, in a lot of ways it'll it'll screw you up worse than if you just let it go. One of the brilliant pieces of writing involved in this whole work that you did was the inception of that name itself, Faux Traffico. Mm -hmm. Was that your creation? Who came up with that? That was my wife, actually. We we kind of like to come up with names of things and try to like figure out kind of fancy, you know, funny little things every now and again. And this was perfect because, you know, I look, we, we know that LAFC, not a big fan of the name, right. Uh, El Trafico. That's not, you know, it's not something we've like adopted or anything, but it just kind of fit with the fake game. You know I mean? It was going to be the rivalry game. So 
you know, and, you know, they've taken, you know, some people have called it the faux classico. That's cool, too. You know, like that makes sense. Obviously, it kind of fits, you know. But when we first heard it, it's like one of those things where you hear a, a baby name when you're trying to come up with a baby's name and it just works as soon as you hear it. Yeah. Hint. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because before we went on, years, you know, I told I told him the same thing. I was like, look, yeah. we have a list. We want to see his first kicks or if yeah. there's some sort of characteristics that we think these names fit. Something and will. The, yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Once she said it, once my wife said faux traffic, or yeah, okay, we're done. That We move on to the next thing. That was it. That was brilliant. Well, hats off to her. That was a, a sensational. <laughs> and it's a good hashtag, too. You know, like in this social media age, it was going to be a good hashtag, I thought, too. I mean, the name, though, of the match, right? If you didn't have, if, I mean, if you weren't to be, are you required to call it El Trafico if you were to be broadcasting? Like, if it was an actual in person derby and you're, well, how would you introduce the match? I have called it that. But it's not officially what LAFC, you know, uses for that kind of thing. I mean, we're still trying to find that, I think, in a lot of ways for the black and gold. I mean, that's just my opinion of how they're approaching it. They're still kind of feeling their way around it in a, in a lot of ways. I don't think El Trafico is kind of, like, serious enough for this game, if that makes right. sense. Even though it's sports and we want to have fun with it. But this is a pretty intense rivalry and everything. But I don't have a problem with the name either. Like, I don't think it's a bad name. I mean, it kind of it certainly fits Los Angeles. I mean, I can respect that. But I don't think it's quite has the, I mean, it's kind of a dumb saying, but yeah. it doesn't have the gravitas for this rivalry is what, you know. But I don't know that anything does yet. You know, like, no. I mean, but we're trying to petition the the like full stop of that phrase, man. Like, you know, and, and no one you, better. Let me, let me turn it around here. Why do people hate? El Trafico on the LAFC side. Genuinely, I'm I mean, just curiously. I think that first of all, it's a play on words, right? Like if if you're you're talking about the traffic, which has no relevance to the game. Mm-hmm. First of all, it has no relevance to the the games, and uh, you know the the games previously with LA Galaxy and Chivas were called the Classico, right? And it's we're trying to create our own narrative. We're trying to create our own thing. So I would. I mean, you can call it the 110 Derby because it is right mm-hmm. down the 110 freeway. You could call it the L.A. Derby because it is L.A. I mean, you literally could call it anything other than this play on words. And I yeah. think that it's, it's just not very serious, cringe. I, that's what I agree, I agree with that. I kind of call it the 12 mile Derby myself because it's the closest two stadiums in MLS by like a mile or two between the New, jo- New York and New Jersey. They're like 13 miles apart and we're like 12 miles apart. So I kind of like 12 mile yeah. Derby, but that doesn't really... I mean, it kind of means something because obviously in MLS and the United States, we're all so spread apart, the teams that, you know, it is, it does matter that we're that close. My comment on El Tropico is that I feel like it was pushed by the national media and it, it, it doesn't feel organic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like the, neither set of fans really came up with it. We've, I feel like reluctantly adopted it in some ways, but I'd say the LAFC fans don't like it for that reason. But to your point, I don't think one has come out as a clear winner to kind of substitute it yet. It's been a couple of years of, you know, rivalry matches or derbies. I think the games have been more meaningful and more intense than the game is called now. And I agree with you on that. 
I think there's a piece to it that we also kind of omit, and that's that it, it's clearly Spanglish, right? And there's a lot of people in this community that take offense to that, right? Not a Spanish-speaking person, so it's not my place to say, but I know that I definitely am in a supporters group with a lot of Spanish-speaking people. And I think a lot of them look down upon that term because it is Spanglish, and I think a lot of them don't like how that sort of treats this interaction between the Spanish speaking and the English speaking portions of Los Angeles. And I think, you know, those are people that find the term to be a bit insensitive in that regard. And I think, you know, from a global perspective, Los Angeles is sort of seen in that light. And I think that's something that might, you know, sort of commoditize a, a bit of that interaction between the English speaking and the Spanish speaking portions of Los Angeles. And that's something that I've heard from a lot of the Spanish-speaking people in the North End. And so I think, you know, in that light, it's hard for me to really get behind something that, you know, if some people are finding it as, you know, over-commercialized and other people find it as insensitive, I think we owe it upon ourselves to come up with something better. And that's really the charge to everyone within the LA community, be it on the Galaxy side or the LAFC side, that if we really want to get away from the T word, we have to come up with something better. And if we don't push the narrative and force the creative in a direction that comes up with something equally as catchy, but something we can all agree on, then we're stuck with what we have. And, you know, I think as our friends over at the FCFC pod have said before, if we all hate it, maybe it works. You know, maybe that's part but of why it. Do we have to, what about the game with no name? Why do we have to have a name for this, right? It's that's just true. a rivalry. Yeah. It is just the rivalry. It's the biggest rivalry in MLS. I don't care what Seattle and Portland want to shove down my throat. It, I've seen it. You know, it's just already the biggest thing that's ever happened in this league in terms of, you know, two teams facing each other. It's just the rivalry. It's just the right. game. And I'm know? cool with I'd be cool with that, too, if there was no official name. I think that there's also a push for the MLS to be taken seriously across the world. And, you know, when you have people calling it a name that, you know, I, I just I can't see people taking it seriously. We are trying as hard as we can to be a league that is respected. And, yeah, but and I fear we, that name is stuck already, though. That's the yeah. problem nationally and internationally. You know, mm-hmm. we yeah. don't have to worry about that realistically. If we want to find another name, that's fine for, you know, the Galaxy and, and LAFC fans. Who cares what anybody says now? But it has stuck, you know. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. you know. And I don't think it's going anywhere anytime too soon that way. That's sadly, you know, obviously it's not a good thing, but it's that's just the reality. You know, like MLS has certainly dove behind that name. You know, like they definitely use it. And that's just, you know, that's just what it is to them. And that's going to be hard to, you know, it's going to be hard to shake, quite frankly. So before we ask our final question, we got a leading question to that. And throughout your time and your experience with LAFC, what are some of your favorite moments, favorite goals, favorite experiences, maybe that you've had a chance to call yourself, you have a favorite call of your own, or maybe something that you got to experience as a fan? What stands out for you over the course of the past five plus years in LAFC? There's definitely a lot because from day one, they've it's winning. You know, that's obviously what sports are really all about at the professional level. And it certainly makes my job so much easier because Bob Bradley has put an awesome team on the pitch since day one. Really, day one sticks out. The goal from Diego Rossi to get things going in Seattle uh, up at the, uh, you know, at CenturyLink. It's a great place to broadcast, you know, and just it just the atmosphere is certainly great there. You got to give the Sounders fans a lot of credit. But and then walking back to the train amongst all the Sounders fans with my LAFC gear on. I'm the only LAFC person around because i got to go catch a plane. And uh, so I'm walking back to the train, and yet all the Sounders fans were cool. 
we had just beaten them our first ever game, but they were like, you know, good luck. You know, it was a great game, you know, like then talk to, you know, Sounders fans on the train back to the, you know, SeaTac for 45 minutes, nothing but a sea of green. And I thought, you know, this is a real MLS organization and this is what we're trying to build. And certainly we did from day one really get that accomplished. So it kind of felt good that way. And then, of course, the call, the goal call of Laurent Simon's first goal at the bank, just in the last seconds, and just how I went, I went complete. I lost my mind. I, I mean, it was just incredible, like as a broadcaster, just to live that with everybody there, because I think it was just thirty thousand people, if you include the fans, and you know, well, twenty four thousand, whatever, twenty one plus, uh, however many people are there working. You know, we were all just in unison of how amazing that was. You know, so that felt great. And then it was the Carlos Vela goal. I think for my personal kind of, I guess, resume, if you will, the Vela goal against San Jose, the, you know, traffic cones and just, mm-hmm. yeah, just one Houdini. of the best I've ever seen. <laughs> one of the best that goals one. I've ever seen in MLS, certainly. And then really in, in soccer, frankly, anybody who denigrates that goal just doesn't like MLS at all. Like there's no hope for them because it's one of the greatest goals you will ever witness. And to get to call that, and I, I mean, it worked out as it have, you know, sometimes you miss mess up on those kind of things and they don't quite work out, but that one happened to work out, you know, from a broadcasting perspective. So I think those three really stand out. Also that Mohammed Omunir defensive play. Oh yeah. I Clearance off the line. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really was a great, it was a great play to call because I thought he was scoring, you know, I thought, I thought they were in and that was going to be two nil at least was, you know, breaking in there and just to do that. And then the way they went on to win that game, with the, you know, what we thought was quote unquote, you know, lineup that was mixed with some bench player, you know, guys who were second team kind of getting their chance. And then El Munir had not played a ton and just to go do that. Then you just knew something special was going on too. Now, obviously at that point, they already had a great record going and they were, but just, it's something deeper, you know, you see El Munir do that. And it's just, it just shows you what the, where the club was at already, even though it's only about a year and a half in at the time. And it just, took it to a whole different level, even though it was a defensive play, it made all the difference in, you know, that game and to win it the way they did then. And to see Carlos Vela celebrating on the bench, he wasn't going to play that day. He never got in, but he was like celebrating as if he was out there getting those goals and doing everything just as much. It just dragged me in even further, you know, as a club and just the love you have for this, for the black and gold and Munir really exemplified that on that play. And that just, that was an awesome play to call too. Well, I think we've collectively probably watched those replays a zillion oh, times between yeah. us all. We will forever have your voice cemented in the back of our minds alongside that. I mean, the second someone talks about Vela's Houdini goal, I mean, traffic cones is the first thing that pops into everybody's <laughs> yeah. mind, right? And thank you for that. I mean, oh, as, as a person who gets to appreciate it, we really are truly blessed to have that kind of picture painted for us by you. So thank you. But we do have one last question. You've been very generous with your time today. Thank you so much for that, sir. It's the name of the show. It's the question we ask every guest, sir. And we, we always manage to find a way to get a different answer from everyone about it. And that's what's what's so intriguing about this community and this particular turn of phrase that LAFC has adapted. And that, sir, is what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Well, it just means how the club is built, first of all. And just seeing that from day one, how special that was, knowing what these men and women were trying to put together and that they were getting it done shoulder to shoulder together, it's just out of nothing. And, you know, to me, that that's why I got involved and why I wanted to get involved with the club. Even before they kicked the ball in anger, 
you know, well before then, you could just see something was special was being built. And I think that phrase, you don't really understand it unless you're black and gold. You know, you can hear it. And even if you appreciate it as a soccer fan, you know, there's a lot of people who hate LAFC now around MLS, but they appreciate us. You know, like, I mean, you can't, you can't really hate what we're doing, but you don't understand what that means unless you live it, you know, unless you're at the stadium. It's taking it from before a stadium was built and then trans- transporting that to a, an atmosphere even before with the 3252 and all the fans starting to build and everything was coming together, literally standing outside the stadium before it was built, shoulder to shoulder, dancing and singing and making noise and, and getting ready, and then to see it transformed into that stadium, into the seats. And it's not just about the 3252. It's all 21,000 plus that are singing and dancing and cheering, getting their lead from, you know, from the 3252. But it's become just something that's not just a cliche. It's not just some line, you know, and once you realize that and once you kind of, you feel it, then you just, there's nothing that's going to change that for you. If you're, if you're black and gold and you feel that and you really live it, you're hooked for life. I'm just, I mean, there's just no getting around it. And that's what it means to me. It's just, it's everybody getting together to do what we have to do to just advance this club in the right way. And that's what shoulder to shoulder means. Well, that's a beautiful answer, sir. We'd like to sincerely thank you on behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilton. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It has been an absolute honor to have you on the pod, sir. Guys, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you so much. I really mean that. Thank you again, Dave. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you soon again at the bank. <laughs> Amen, brother. Let's get back to the bank. With that, take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.